0: Well, uh, I've been wanting... All week, like a soundtrack for my life. And so uh, Eye of the Tiger seems like the, the most classic in film, you know, for me. It's like when the Eye of the Tiger's playing, you know, somebody is, is doing something great. I always thought, you know, if I had Eye of the Tiger playing, I would look like Sylvester Salone back in the days of Rocky, and I'd be able to do those weird, wicked push-ups and stuff with one hand. Um... But haven't you ever watched a movie and just had your spirit lifted and thought, I'm so inspired, and you realize that it mostly had to do with the orchestra that was playing in the background? Like when I was a kid, I, I loved The Man from Snowy River and The Return from Snowy River. They're my favorite movies. The first movie I remember seeing in the theater, and uh, I would just hear, you know, at the, the time when things were critical, and then there would be Jim Craig riding out across the the, the plains, and it would be... Uh, to to and, and people, you know, all the the great music. You don't realize until later that, like, that's a whole orchestra. You just think, like, that's what it's like when you're riding a horse and going to rescue people. So I would, like, get on my horse. No, I mean, like, why isn't that music playing? So it wouldn't it be great, though, if we had a soundtrack that would just play, you know, so um. cliches, and everywhere we went, there was just, like, it was going on and there was a band following us. And just every time we got up to speak, so there was just this perfect, arrangement of strings and horns and you could just say like good morning good morning class and it was you know all the music okay maybe you never wish that but I think it'd be great if we all had a a soundtrack you know for the next thing that we do but um, there was a Jewish scholar writing in the United States in the 50s named Abraham Heschel and he said that there's a song that we must learn that all of us must learn uh, if we're to be God-fearing people, to be faithful people, uh, and we must learn. And, and it's a song that would carry us through our work, through our week, through our lives. And it's a song of freedom. It's a song that we learn because we gain a sense of an awareness that God is present in and around us. And it is a song, says Heschel, that we learn on the Sabbath. Isn't that great? There's a song that we have to learn to get through life. And if we're going to learn it, we, we can learn it on the Sabbath. Now, uh, we're, so I would say it's weird saying we're starting a series because it's only two weeks long. So, you know, this week and next week and the series will be over. But uh, we're starting a brief series on uh, a theology of work, uh, which I always like to do around Labor Day. Just have at least one sermon where we talk about, you know, the dignity of work that God has called us to, that we work for God no matter where we work that God has given us gifts to work and to do the things that we do and to parent and all of that, and it, and it has great dignity uh, to be students and those sorts of things. Uh, but but every time I started thinking about work, I realized first we have to talk about rest. We first have to talk about Sabbath. And so otherwise we get topsy-turvy and we get turned around. See, if we don't have a proper understanding of Sabbath, if we don't learn the song that we're supposed to have playing in the background, if we don't learn that song on the Sabbath, then we get our work all out of whack. So I grew up having it all backwards because I thought when you had a day off, the sole purpose of your day off was so that you could work harder. And that's because I'm a Streebeck and that's how we do things. Like if you have a break, you just enjoy it and you better be better tomorrow. So if you eat a meal, it's so you can be strengthened to work harder. <laughs> everything, everything that was, that we would enjoy like that, it was the purpose was so you could be better. And I didn't realize until I was an adult that The gift of Sabbath is the goal of the week, not something that we get as a break so that we can work harder. It's Work is not the goal. Sabbath is the goal, and all of our work builds, it culminates in the Sabbath. The best Sabbath song I still hold by this that is uh, working for the weekend. You know, everybody's working for the weekend. That's the best Sabbath song. All of our work and things that we do build to the weekend of God's holy mountain, the Sabbath. You know, it's this great thing that we anticipate that we work towards. And uh, the Jews would talk about how, uh, you know, every Sabbath was a little taste of heaven. And we talk about that as Christians. We talk about every Sunday is a little Easter. Every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and we look at how the resurrection works its way into our daily lives. Uh, so anyways, we're, we're going to look at work next week. And so we want to look at Sabbath today which is the goal of our work. It's the goal of our week. It's where we learn who we are and that we belong to God primarily in a family. We had a baptism in the first service, so it was a great corollary to say, this is where the song begins. This is when we start singing the song. And our parents sing it for us, and our friends sing it for us, and we sing it together as a church. This is when we start learning the song, and we carry it with us throughout our lives. Okay. So if Sabbath is this taste of heaven and this goal of the week and this wonderful, marvelous thing, what in the world is it? What is Sabbath? Isn't that something that's just for Jewish people or that just was like Old Testament thing? But we're, you know, New Testament now. We don't have to do that. Sabbath is a gift. And actually, Jesus talked a lot about Sabbath. And he had a lot of conversations and and performed healings on the Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath is a day apart. It really, at its basic understanding, is a gift from God. It's a day that God gives us to remind us that we're not slaves, to remind us that in the midst of all of our work, the world still turns if I can't perform my jobs, if I can't produce, if I don't purchase anything, if I don't get the best deal on my trade today or whatever, that the world still turns. And God can accomplish his purposes without me feeling like I'm at the helm it was originally a gift to our ancestors, the Jewish people, after 400 years of slavery. Can you imagine if you and your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and all the way back for 400 years, all you'd ever known was slavery? We wouldn't know any days except for work days. There are no days off for slaves. You work every single day, seven days a week, all the time. And I know some of our jobs require us to work seven days a week sometimes. Um, but they didn't have a choice and it was all the time. And so God br- rescues his people. And one of the first things he does is he gives them these, these words that we call the Ten Commandments. And the, the longest one in print is the one about Sabbath. And it's a gift. And then on this day, you're going to rest from this and you make sure your, your kids rest and your spouse rests and your, the people that work for you that they rest, everybody rests. And, and it's given as a gift. And the whole purpose is everybody's free on the sabbath every the the playing field is leveled on the sabbath no matter if you're a slave or if you're a wife or if you're a husband or you're an old man or a young man everybody's the same on the sabbath and so some jewish scholars have reflected that you know that our god the god of israel that this law in this way was one of the first uh things in history to uh start abolishing slavery as we know it or you know in the nasty sense that we came to see it in uh the early American days and throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, but um, so the the Exodus command where we're told to keep Sabbath uh, is is kind of a simple like when your kids ask you you know okay now why do I need to do this and you say well just just trust me and just do it you know you don't always have the why and so it, the 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 logic in Exodus is uh, y'all rest because God rested so God worked six days and He took a day to rest so makes sense that we would do that so god rested y'all rest that's the heart of the exodus command when when it's review and when it comes back in in deuteronomy and moses is teaching the folks again going back through remember we're a generation away and this time the commandment is written keep sabbath and here's why you're going to take all this time off etc etc and the heart the heart of the command is remember that you were slaves in egypt And remember that God brought you out of slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So remember that you were slaves, and now you're not slaves anymore. So it's the salvation vision. This is what Sabbath is all about. So it's a commandment to be free, and that's why I say it's a gift. You know, God has given a gift to say, hey, there's a day where your job is to remember that you're free. And your job is to make other people remember that they're free and to not enslaved people, everybody in your care. And so it's a commandment to enjoy God and to enjoy one another. To all the things that we enjoy in life, you know, it's um, the the rich foods and the company with one another. It's kind of like your holiday time or Thanksgiving, you know, maybe your family plays board games or you do the things that you do. You watch the Cowboys and you do stuff that's not, where you're not expending the kind of energy that you expend throughout the week. And so they would eat certain, the Jews would eat certain foods on the Sabbath, certain rich foods that they didn't eat other times. I had a friend and a, a mentor when I was at seminary, and he had little kids at the time. And he would always, they, they started this thing that every Sunday, they would give their, their kids a bag of Twizzlers. And I was like, why Twizzlers? Like that's the worst candy in the world. But the whole point was they didn't eat Twizzlers any other day of the week. So it was just like they looked forward, the kids were like, oh, it's Sunday, Twizzlers, boom. Uh, it's something we get to enjoy so sabbath is for enjoyment you know sabbath if you're a young parent that's that's like nap time uh if, if you if you have a certain kind of work that requires you to be in the heat and outside and you're busting your tail all the time like Sabbath's, you know yeah putting your feet up somewhere cool in the shade or well not in the shade when it's 108 in sweet water but um you know somewhere cool uh sometimes enjoyment for those of us that have more sedentary jobs it means getting outside it means exercise it means playing golf it means building something with friends or doing you know there are all kinds of things we can do to enjoy god and enjoy each other so if the sabbath is so wonderful and it's such a gift and it's so great then why do we resist sabbath why don't we practice sabbath all the time why do i not practice sabbath this is always one of those sermons that i'm preaching in the choir all day long my wife's probably out there going uh I hope you're listening to your sermon today. I love it when you preach on Sabbath. Uh, so I got to remember, but it's hard. Sabbath's really difficult. So why do we resist Sabbath? I'm sure there's many reasons, and I'm sure we all could point out good reasons why we do. But one reason that we resist Sabbath, I think it's kind of two sides of the same coin. It's, it's both the reason we resist and the reason that we need Sabbath so bad. It's like the thing we need the most and it's the reason we resist. Y'all know, y'all know what that's like. I know what, they, what we, we experience that. And, and at least part of that is stress. Stress and fear that if I stop for a moment, everything will fall apart. If I turn my phone off or don't check my email 47 times a day, if I stop producing, if I don't buy stuff, things will fall apart. If I don't take that call, or check that Facebook post, or reply to that Instagram like, or that Twitter mention, like, something bad's gonna happen if I don't do it. Somebody won't like me, they'll think I'm ignoring them. Whatever. Have you noticed that when you download a new app, uh, There will be a little notification that pops up that says, is it okay if we send you push notifications, right? We'll send you the badges and the alerts, the dings and all the stuff. And you have to either decide, is this an app that I want all the notifications for, like my kid's class, or is this like, you know, the MLB at bat? I don't necessarily want to know every little thing that's going on with the Texas Rangers all throughout the day, but we have to decide. And it's like it's always worded in a way that makes you feel like you're missing out if you don't say yes. Is it okay if we send you notifications and make you the happiest person on the planet? or would you rather be miserable and not get notifications from us? You know, you feel bad, like saying no. It's like, oh, gosh, I guess I, I guess I have to. But, okay, maybe that was just me that, that does that. But, so the American Psychological Association uh, started in 2007, and every year they publish a study on stress in the lives of everyday Americans like us. And uh, they, they they target the population that doesn't identify with, like, a, a clinical mental health uh, deal. So um, if, you, if you're, you know, if you have something that's diagnosable, then they don't they don't include you in this study. But it's an alarming amount of Americans that identify with kind of a paralyzing stress. And, and that number, as we would expect, kind of goes up by a few percentage points each year. And one of the interesting things from the study in 2018 is that they paid particular attention to the, the comments and the things that were made by What they're calling generation Z, which is like 15, age 15 to 21. So our high school uh, folks and our college folks. And, uh, look, I would, I was alarmed to find out that I'm actually classified as a millennial according to the APA. So I don't know if y'all have bad things to say about millennials. Just, just heat me in. I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the camp for like another month. So (laughs) here we are. But anyways, uh, so, and they've looked at, you know, obviously we would say that the stress factors that that people have today aren't different. It's not like people didn't worry about the economy in 1920. It's not like people didn't worry about world powers in the 1930s and 40s. It's, it's not like people didn't worry about, you know, banks and interest rates and all that stuff and, and classroom work and, and how we were going to get these kids fed and all that stuff. Well, all the same stressors. Maybe things are unique, but the thing that they noticed is that this age group seems to have fewer tools to cope with stress. Then maybe we had, or the generation ahead of us was even a little better. And I'm not going to get into all the whys of that. It just occurred to me as this could be a great window of opportunity for part of our witness as the church to say, man, part of what the world needs today is rest, is like intentional Sabbath rest where people remember that they are more than what they produce and what they achieve and what they accomplish, that we have an identity that is greater than that and we remind ourselves of that when we worship and when we eat family meals together and all that good stuff. So a great window of opportunity to begin practicing Sabbath, maybe just one step or to resume practicing if you've begun and kind of gotten a hard time and I know it sounds crazy but sometimes we resist that taste of heaven. Uh C.S. Lewis helps us see this in his book on heaven and hell called The Great Divorce. And it's it's a great it's a really convicting way of thinking about heaven because it reminds us that sometimes there is a good that is is offered to us and we don't experience it not because someone deprived us of it but because we just didn't want it we didn't want heaven you know we didn't want a world where everyone got to rest we didn't want a world where it was Thy will be done and not my will be done I mean that's hard there are days where I don't want heaven because I don't want to let go of the wheel so. Sometimes we resist Sabbath. We resist heaven. We just don't want to turn loose of the reins. But we are in desperate need of freedom. Uh, Heschel, again, writing in, and again, this is 1951. This is not yesterday. And here's what he says. He said, there are many people in our culture who have acquired a high degree of political and social liberty. But only very few people are not enslaved to things. Ouch. We have achieved greater political and social liberties, you know, than anywhere else in the world. And it's a wonderful thing that we're grateful for and we give thanks for. But somehow we're still enslaved to things and to internal pressures and things that we place on ourselves. So it's a good time to learn or relearn the gift of Sabbath. Uh, something I'd never noticed before about Sabbath, the emphasis in scripture, and that's why we had the Isaiah 58 reading. But twice in the Isaiah 58 reading, there is an emphasis on not looking out for your own interests on the Sabbath. And I was like, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, I don't do that when I rest. And I was thinking, well, what's my vision of Sabbath? Well, some days it's like, you know, sitting in the chair with my feet propped up and watching the Rangers. They're like, hey, if you kids need something from me, sorry, I'm unavailable. Uh, you know, whatever. but not my interest, but the interests of others like that's part of Sabbath we do some work on the sabbath we serve people uh so that other people can experience sabbath as well so we're not primarily looking at our own interest but in doing so god knows in his wisdom that that is a gift to us when we have a chance to serve others and participate with others and so when we talk about worship being a critical part of the sabbath we talk about worshiping with god's people and we talk about you know being able to enjoy god and and pay attention to his presence um it's important, I think, for us to think about the call that we have as Christians, the work that we sometimes do to make Sabbath available for others. Uh so one of the examples I talked about at early services, um we have we have got usher captains, this deal we're trying, where we've got one one person or a couple of people that kinda take care of the usher duties and taking care of things and watching everything for, for a month and they're responsible for that. So the early service it was the birds and it was it was hilarious because both bird twins were at both doors the whole month of August. And they were opening and closing the door. They were like little sentinels, you know, and they would look at you like, is now, is it, is it the time? Do I open the door now? And I'm like scared to give them the wrong look, but they're like intent on it. And Olivia would be at the back greeting everybody, you know, and it was all, it was, it was wonderful. They're serving so that we could have Sabbath. And, um, and Russ Petty's been doing it here in this service this month and it's serving so we can have Sabbath. And people do, we do lots of things throughout the week that make that available, but I never thought about leading worship. And so we can allow other people to have Sabbath. It just, for some reason, it just didn't click. So, you all know, are probably already there, but thanks be to God that we have that call and that option to, to lead worship by serving so that more people can experience Sabbath. All right, so before we wrap up, um I always like to try to explore a couple of pra- more practical things, or at least for me, more practical, about, about Sabbath. Because I recognize that that sometimes we hear stuff about Sabbath and we say, gosh, that's just not possible for me and the life that I lead. And so really practical stuff. But, what you know, what's one step that you and I can do at this time in our life to delight in the Lord in an intentional way where we can enjoy God and enjoy each other, given our stage of life? Because some of us are taking care of people with critical health needs, taking care of parents or grandparents or friends. Uh, some of us have young children at home. Some of us have uh, issues going on at work that don't allow us to be unavailable a lot of times. And so, um, again, be gracious with yourself. Be gracious with ourselves as we try to lay out Sabbath rhythms. Don't We don't need to make it legalistic like people were doing in the first century when Jesus came along. And they're like, I don't know, Jesus, that's... Uh, We're pretty upset that you were healing on the Sabbath. And he's like, y'all are crazy. He's like, if your donkey needed to have a drink on the Sabbath, you would take him to water. But this person needs healing on the Sabbath, and you're mad at me for working on the Sabbath. He's like, where where have y'all been? Like, what what God have you been paying attention to? So, again, it's it's a gift. Jesus said the Sabbath is a gift for humanity. It was created for humanity, not the other way around. We weren't created so that we could, you know, follow some rules on a certain day of the week. That's, that's not our purpose. And so the Sabbath is a gift. So, how do we get in on that in a practical way? Um, so to quote the great theologian Hank Hill, I got any King of the Hill fans out here? Um, nobody that'll admit it. Am I I'm the only redneck in the room? Okay. You know, the Hills were good Methodists, by the way. Did y'all know that? Um, but, uh, anyways, Hank Hill, so there's this scene where, where, um, Hank's son Bobby gets into trouble. And they're just this West Texas family in the show, and and Bobby gets in trouble at school, so uh, his dad punishes him by making him clean out leaves in the gutter. Well, the neighbor kid also got in trouble for the same thing. His dad made him mow the yard. Well, Hank Hill comes outside, and he gasps and he goes, "What are you doing? You're," he said, "Don't you know that mowing the yard is not punishment? It's a privilege." <laughs> so, anyways, I don't know why I think of that when I think of seven. For some people, mowing the grass is a privilege, and it is a great thing to do on Sabbath. Other people, you're like, that is just one more thing of drudgery that I hate doing. So don't do that on the Sabbath. Like, if you love to play golf and you enjoy that, like, play golf on the Sabbath. If every time you go play golf, you walk home with new cuss words in your imagination, then maybe don't play golf on the Sabbath. I don't know. <laughs> There's, it's, you know, it's, it's a give and take thing. We have to learn. We have to find our way into good rhythms so that we can enjoy God and enjoy each other. When I was thinking about Sabbath this week, it it just reminded me that it kind of reconnects with Jesus' mission. You know, when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, remember what he says when he starts his ministry, and he unrolls the scroll in the temple, and he begins reading from Isaiah, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And for what purpose? To proclaim freedom to the captives. That's the first thing he says. To remind people that they're free. They haven't been living like they're free, but they're free. And so Jesus lives that way in his ministry. There's a great story in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus is teaching again in the synagogue on a Sabbath. By the way, the only time that Jesus initiates healings in, the, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, the only time he initiates healings are on the Sabbath. Is that crazy? Jesus is making a connection between Sabbath and healing. And he sees this woman on the Sabbath when he's teaching. And she had been crippled for 18 years. She was been over and 18 years, you know, 400 years of slavery, 18 years of of crippling pain. She was unable to stand up straight. And Jesus saw her. He called over to her and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight, and she began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, he got upset, right? He was indignant because Jesus cured on the Sabbath, and that's when Jesus goes on and calls them hypocrites and tells them about the donkey bit. But I think of a, a woman like that, and I think of myself, and I think of us, and I think of the times in our life where we have forgotten what the song of freedom sounds like. We just, we're busy, and we've got a million things going on, and we just forget that song, that core song of freedom. The song of forgiveness. The song of healing. The song that we once were lost, and now we are found. This is the song that we sing in the world six days of the week. And so I want to invite us today on this Sabbath to be healed. To receive forgiveness. This is a song that's playing for all of us to hear. Anyone with ears to hear. Anyone who will stop and listen. And it's like I can hear God asking us today Can you hear the song? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you have given us the gift of some time to not be known and identified by our work, by what we produce. We know that our work is holy and that it matters and you've given us great work to do. But thank you for a moment in time to stop and to remember who you are and who we are and that you created us to enjoy life. And so I pray that you would give us the creativity and the will to enjoy you, to enjoy each other, and to enjoy life on the Sabbath, pockets of time that we can find in our week. And may that make difference, make all the difference in our life. May you set us free from the deep burdens of stress. Will you remind us again that we were forgiven, that we can receive that gift from you. Thank you that we belong to you, and nothing can yank us out of your hand. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.